All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it's a privilege to have you guys here this morning. I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family. It's great to have you guys here. Can we welcome our Lawrenceburg family? It's good to have you guys in the house. To all of our guests watching online and first-time guests, if you are here or you're in Lawrenceburg, we just want to say welcome, and it's a privilege to have you guys here. We say it every week. Our desire is for God to do something great in your life, no matter where you are, what you're going through. I just believe with all of my heart, and we believe here that Jesus is the answer for life. And so if you're going through a difficult time, if you've got an opportunity in front of you, whatever situation is, allow God to be a part of it. Allow the grace of Jesus to interrupt your life in a powerful way. You'll never regret it. Amen. Come on. Is anybody here thankful for the grace of Jesus? Well, this is it. It's week four. It's God at the box office. It's sad to know that next week we're back to a boring service. <laughs> I know. Thank you. It's never boring here. We love, we love God at the box office. If by chance this is your first week here, I want to welcome you. Again, God at the box office is an opportunity we take every year to be extra creative, put in extra work, to create opportunities for you to come, to bring friends and family members, to step into a great environment, one where we can laugh and have fun, but one also where God is present, where his word is alive and where lives are changed. And so we just want to say again, welcome. The goal of God at the box office, again, we've said this every week, but again, if you're new here, um, you know, secular songs we open with, kind of goofy games we've played. Really, it's all uh, to, uh, to bring us to the place where we're open to God's Word. And really, we're using movies to leverage and to speak about some of the principles that Jesus taught. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus taught through parables. He took things, again, he took stories. He took things that were familiar in culture. He took things that everybody was aware of. And he would use those things to teach about the kingdom of God, to teach about what God was like to teach about who God called us to be. And so that's all we're doing. We're taking movies, some that we've gone through in this series, like Toy Story and Aladdin, and we're just leveraging those to teach spiritual principles. And today, as we end our series, we're talking about this movie, Angry Birds. How many people have just, have you ever even heard the term Angry Birds? Wave at me. Good, most of you. So Angry Birds is kind of a crazy thing. It, it popped up on the scene in 2009. The first game app showed up and had literally millions of downloads, and uh, it didn't stop there. It has gone, uh, gone and grown. Now there are 17 different Angry Bird games, five animated TV series, and in just a few weeks, the second movie in the franchise is coming out. So we're not going to hang here too long, but Angry Birds, just real quick recap, it's about a bunch of birds who are angry. I mean, like, that's it. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. That's the whole deal. Now, here's what's, here's what's ironic to me is that this line of movies and games and shows on television have become so iconic and large in culture, even though we live in such an angry culture. Now, when I say an angry culture, let's just be honest. We are living in the age of rage. We are living in a society where it seems like people always see red. I mean, think about it. Everywhere we go, we live around it. We live in it. Some of you are the cause of it. We see news stories covered on it all the time. We see stories of road rage, people losing their mind because somebody didn't go fast enough or didn't turn quick enough. Some of them turning into shootings. 
We see it on the sporting field. We see it on the gridiron. We see it on the baseball diamond. We see it on the ice of hockey. Where again, people get so angry so quick that fights break out. And it doesn't happen just on the professional level with the sporting figures. Come on, it's peewee parents on the sideline losing their minds. And so here's what I, I think all of us can agree on is we live currently and unfortunately in a society and a culture that is easily and excessively angry. Come on, can we just agree with that? It's, it's crazy how much anger and rage there is around us. Now, I think all of us, if we would take a few minutes in Lawrenceburg and here in Florence to just be honest and say all of us have been a part of anger. We've been on the receiving end and we've been on the giving end. We've been on the part where people have been angry with us and we have been, come on, let's just be honest here in the beginning, we've dished some out. And we've been in the part where some of us have experienced uh, positive anger and, some of it, and most of it, unfortunately, in our culture is negative anger. We'll come back in a few months in a series we're going to do two months from today uh, on, ne- on positive anger. But negative anger, we, we know what negative anger is, right? Negative anger is that damaging anger. I, I would say it this way, just to be really clear, like, there, there's, there's a proper anger that's really powerful. A positive anger that's really powerful, but negative, perverted anger is problematic. And that's what's happening in our culture. That's what's happening in some of our homes. That's what's happening in some of our families. That's what's happening in our work environments is this rage and this anger where people just are losing control. And that's where we are experiencing. And so today, I just want to issue a challenge for us to change. For God, like, we can't change the world until until God changes us. And so if you are one who are, who's the, 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 the giver of the negative anger, I just want you to open up your heart and just ask God to help you, to change you, to transform you. Come on, is anybody here open for change? So, you know, I, I think uh, several years ago, uh, I went to a Browns tailgate party. It's in Cleveland. It's a professional franchise. Maybe you've heard of them. Listen, hey, thank you, my friend. Listen, I just want to invite you. See, I've been here eight years now. I'm not getting on the Alabama wagon. And I'm not asking you to get on the Ohio State wagon. But let's do this. Oh, can we just do this? Y'all my, y'all my people, right? Lawrenceburg, you're my people. Y'all don't care about professional football, so come on on my side. They're going to be really good this year. Let's get a bunch of Browns jerseys. You can come to my house, and we can celebrate Cleveland Browns. Come on. Is anybody down for that Baker Mayfield? Come on. Woo, Odell, he's going to have a killer year. They're gonna bring, the Giants are going to be mad they cut him loose. Woo. What was we talking about? I forget. I forget. I think I'm pretty excited. Let's just pray and go home. I think we covered it. Go Browns. <laughs> but I was at a tailgate party like many of you guys have been at tailgate parties. And, you know, people drop their hatches and set up their tents and set out chairs and you know, they do, their, they do their deal with their food, and we were there pretty early, and uh, this guy decided he was going to cut out, and he was going to go out and get some, get some extra goods, and so I'll never forget this. He backed out, and he started to leave, and as he left, what he didn't realize, and what nobody realized until it was too late, 
is that he had tied one of those, one of those folding chairs. It was, it was like leashed to his truck. And so when he took off and left, when he took the corner, I mean, that thing slung out and hit someone else's grill and knocked it over. And we're screaming for him, but he has no idea. And he goes down the end and cuts another turn. It, it almost hits some people. I mean, this chair was doing damage. Now, I'll be honest, it was kind of funny because it wasn't me. But, you know, when I think about that chair swinging through that parking lot, hitting cars and hitting grills and almost hitting people, I think that's a lot like much of the anger that we carry, that we're dragging it through life, creating all of this chaos and destruction in its wake, and we're destroying our marriages and hurting our homes and disrupting our families, causing chaos in our work environments. And I just want to just throw out this challenge that, again, if you are a person where you are angry, and you might say, not, that's not me. Everybody in this room has anger. Anger is a human emotion that God's given us, but when we pervert it, again, it becomes problematic. And so we all have anger. We just have to make sure it doesn't get on the negative side. And so here's what I want to go for a few minutes. I just want to talk about some things that Jesus had to say on the issue of anger. And real quick as we jump into it, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here was, here's his big point. This is, this is it right here, is that people need to understand the repercussions of and take responsibility for anger. You need to understand that your anger is creating issues, and you need to take responsibility for it. Now, let's just talk about the second part first to take responsibility for it. People blame everybody else for going ballistic. You made me mad. Nobody can take control unless you lose control. I tell my kids that, have told them that for years as, you know, there's that regular sibling rivalry and challenges and those are all proper words they're fighting that's what they're doing and you finally nail them down you know what's going on well she made me mad no nobody can make you mad you 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 can't you can't nobody can take control unless you lose control we need to take responsibility we say things like this they push my buttons well what would happen if you put your buttons out of reach i mean it's just a different way to think it's a different way to go through life proverbs 14 29 this is such a powerful verse and as i prayed about this this week as i've been getting ready for this for this message this verse i really hope you will hear it in a way you maybe have never heard it it's just right here come on let's read this together every voice lawrenceburg read this out loud come on everybody here people with understanding control their anger and a hot temper shows great foolishness just hang that there for a second do you all see that? You can control your anger. Now, that goes counter to probably so many things that so many of us have heard or said or believed. Well, Pastor, I'm Irish, and everybody knows we're short-tempered. It's the home I was raised in. I'm just like my daddy. It's just who I am. I'm just red-blooded. I'm just a little ill-tempered. And we have, we've made all of these excuses and reasons to just continue to be angry. And what everybody in this room needs to hear, everybody in Lawrenceburg, you need to hear, is that anger can be controlled. I'll give you a prime example. I'll prove my point. Everybody in this room has been in, in a contentious conversation with a coworker, or more likely their spouse, 
and you were just upset and I can't believe that you did that and this is we're just going to talk about this and the phone rings bring you like hello yeah yeah hey things are great yeah uh-huh yeah sure you have to call you back later anyways so if you can turn it on and you can turn it off it demonstrates that anger can be controlled but it's only going to be controlled if we are willing to take responsibility and do something about it so here's what I want you to hear. Feeling angry may not be a choice, but functioning angry is. I'm not saying that you turn off something internally in you where you're not irritated about stuff or things never aggravate you, but when you flip the switch and start projecting negative anger on everybody around you, that is something God's word clearly says, that anger can be controlled. So let's jump into some of the things Jesus said. I love this. this we're just going to look at two verses here. And I want to unpack them in a way that uh, hopefully you'll hear some things maybe you've never heard. I think these two verses as I prepare just, man, just wreck me. I'm a person. Uh, I can be short-tempered. I can, you know, these are things like all of us. We all have our issues. And I don't want you to hear like I'm never throwing things, punching walls, kicking doors. But, you know, I can, I can get, I can go on tilt about things I'm passionate about. And negative anger is never okay. Hurtful anger is never okay. Anger can be controlled. And here's what Jesus says. Check it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Now, let me just lay this out. In this whole chapter, Jesus, in fact, he teaches this several times, where he will contrast what is familiar and common in culture with what he teaches. So he'll say things, he'll say this contrasting phrase, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And what he's doing is he's, he's trumping culture. He's replacing what you've been familiar with with what he says. And let me just tell you, these verses and verses like this, this is our spiritual journey. We've grown up living one thing, believing one thing, acting one thing, and Jesus steps on the scene, and he is the Lord of our life, and we start submitting who we've been, what we've believed, and how we've behaved to who he's called us to be. Come on, somebody. And that includes anger. And so he says this, he says, You've heard, uh, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Now, this is so powerful because, again, he's, he's, he's interjecting culture. What he's addressing here, if you're not familiar, he is introducing and uh, reminding his audience, who's a Jewish audience, of what they've been raised their entire life, and that is on the, the law of Moses, specifically the Ten Commandments. Many of you here, you know the Ten Commandments, and if you don't know all ten of them, you probably know the, ten, the commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. Like, we just know that. And so Jesus says, hey, you've been taught your whole life. You've been raised as a child to believe. You have heard every Saturday in the synagogue this, thou shalt not commit murder. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that one. And he's, he's making this point early on that, again, that it's, it's almost like we've made that the line. Like, as long as I don't go over the line, I'm okay. So, like, you can, you can go into your work environment, and you can cuss out your coworker, and you can aggravate your boss, and you can shout at your employees. You can aggravate. You can frustrate. You can agitate. You can talk down to people. You can hurt people with your words. And it's almost like, well, I didn't murder anybody, so I mean, me and God are good. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus, you've heard it say, thou shalt not commit murder. Oh, yeah, I've never murdered anybody, so I mean, I'm okay. 
And here's what you need to hear about, again, the level of anger that oftentimes we walk with, we care, and we project on others is maybe you've never murdered a person, but you've murdered relationships. You've murdered coworkers. A lot of us in this room, because of our anger issues, we are murdering our witness where we tell people we are a Christ follower and then they see how we behave and they don't want anything to do with the Jesus we follow because we've lost control of our anger. And yet we stand back and we're like, but yeah, I've never murdered anybody, so I mean, I'm pretty good, right? And Jesus is, as always, he's raising the bar on how we live life. And he ends this, this, the first part of this, or the end of this first verse, he says, anybody that, that commits murder, we, we know what happens to them. They're subject to judgment. And as a society and a culture, we immediately agree with that. Yeah, if somebody murders somebody else, yeah, they should be accountable. There should be some judgment. Just in the last 24 hours, our nation is broken again with two mass shootings. I woke up again this morning, another mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio. It's unbelievable. So much, so much of it is inspired again by rage and anger. And we watch it, and one thing that everybody can agree on, we may not be able to agree on guns and all the other stuff, but everybody can agree with this, that anybody who does and creates sets chaos and calamity and hurts people and takes innocent lives, we can all agree that person should be subject to judgment. Like, that, there, there, should, be, there should, be some, should be some justice, and that's what Jesus is saying. As a society, everybody would agree if somebody murders somebody, there should be some judgment. Now, Jesus, he uses this thought to transition and says, but what about somebody who murders somebody emotionally? What about somebody who, who murders somebody relationally? There's not a body in a morgue somewhere, but there's a broken heart. There's a wet pillow. There's a frustrated coworker. There's an upset person. Come on. And so he, he's getting us to raise the bar, but we've lived with this anger where we're, we're, it's this destructive behavior, and we have felt ju self-justified because that's just who I am. That's who I've always been. It wasn't that big of a deal. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The old line used to be as long as you didn't murder, you're okay, but it's time to raise the bar. Come on. It's time to change the game. And so he goes into this next verse. Watch this. So this is what culture said, as long as you don't murder, you're good. Watch this. But I say, everybody say Jesus says. Oh, baby, watch this. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh-oh. How many people are subject to judgment? Some of you mad at me right now because I'm saying you're subject to judgment, which makes you subject to judgment. Wow, wait a minute, Jesus, you're telling me that when I just honk my horn, when I, when I get a little agitated at my kids, when I get frustrated at the Walmart line, when I have contention, contention with my spouse, yes, when that anger is negative, problematic, hurtful anger, you are subject to judgment. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Anger, and this is a big idea that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Anger is really, it's an authority issue. Anger is an authority issue. And here's, here's what I mean by that. When I say anger is an authority issue, it's because we, we, we don't want to be under God's authority and we want everybody else under our authority. 
We don't want to be under God's authority. We don't want God telling us how we can behave and how we can function. And here comes Jesus, and he says, listen, you, you, need, to, you need to change your attitude. <laughs> Come on, we need a, anybody here have a mom growing up when you were growing up tell you you need an attitude adjustment? Yeah. If you're not clear what Jesus is saying, he is looking at us saying, y'all need an attitude adjustment, and I'm just the man to do it. And he's saying, you need to adjust your anger. You need to lower your attitude. And again, the reason we struggle with it, anger is an authority issue. Anger is an authority issue because we don't want to be under God's authority. What I mean by that is Jesus comes along. His word is very clear that you can control anger. You don't have to walk around with hurtful anger. And we continue to justify it. And we continue to allow it. And we continue to tolerate it. We continue to let it rob our marriages compromise our parenting, poison our work environments, and corrupt our culture. And all the time, God is saying, no, 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 if, if you belong to me, then get under my authority and do it my way. And I don't know if you've picked it up, but we do this a lot, where we, we, we call Jesus our king, we call him our Lord, and we continue to live life our own way. He tells us how to handle our finances, and we do finances our own way. He tells us how to handle our marriages, and we do marriage our own way. He tells us to forgive our enemy, and we use an F word, but it's not forgive. Forget. Forget you. What do you guys? I mean, it's like we continue to buck up against the authority. We don't want to submit. We don't want to do things his way. But I want you to know him being Lord is not up for an option. It's not up for debate. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we belong to him, we are submitted underneath his authority. So that means we got to do things his way to bring him honor. Are you submitted to Jesus? Are you submitted to Jesus? Are you under his authority? But here's the big thing. Watch this. Man, I, I'm wrestling through this, and I don't like what God's showing me. I don't like what he's telling me because it speaks right to me. Anger is an authority issue. We don't, we don't want to be underneath God's, and we want everybody to be underneath of ours. Think about it. If everybody did what you wanted them to do, you would never be angry. Think about that. If you could control the world, you would never be angry. President Trump gets ready to tweet. I don't know how you like, like, and you can control him. You wouldn't be angry anymore. Get Congress to vote the way you want. You wouldn't. Fox News and CNN would go out of business. You wouldn't be angry anymore. If you could make the person every, if you could imagine this power, Lord, if you can give me one superpower, let it be this one. Imagine if you can control every other driver on the road. That they would drive in the lane you want them to drive, at the speed you want them to drive. Oh, come on. Whoo, man, I'm feeling a release right now. Thank you, Jesus. But we don't because they, they have free will just like you do. They check out at the pace they want. They walk at the pace they want, drive at the pace they want. Senate governs the way they want. Our president leads the way. And so when people don't operate the way we think they should operate, when our coworkers don't operate at the pace we think they, we get angry. And we get, when our kids don't pick up their socks, we get angry. When our spouse overspends and we can just control it all, we would never get angry because angry is an authority issue. We want everybody under ours and we don't want to be under God. 
God's because we have it flip-flop. God's called us to be under his and nobody's under ours. Come on, maybe kids under parents and, and maybe, maybe those who are underneath you in the workplace because you've been given authority. But listen, society's not under your authority, but we are under God's. Stop thinking that you are the one that gets to dictate the pace and the beliefs and the attitudes and the production of society around you. That is not your prerogative. If we would get more lost in trying to control ourselves instead of controlling everybody around us, we wouldn't have time to be angry. Come on, can I get an amen at the 830 service? So I'm just telling you, I'm getting this, I'm pre, I'm preparing this message for a couple of weeks, and I'm not liking any of it. We, we moved yesterday. I'm telling you all for the last couple of weeks, and big shout out. Lots of people showed up and helped. And, but like I'm just going to tell you, when I'm packing boxes in 95-degree heat and 100, 180, can you get 180% humidity? Can that happen? Because I think it happened in my garage. <laughs> like literally at one point, I was 110 pounds. I put it back on in water weight, but... people, my family packing stuff that needs to be thrown away. We've had this for eight years. We've moved twice and we're going to box it up and move it again. And... Ah! I didn't do that, but I felt that. And I probably projected it. And then I, I hit this, this verse every time it would ring and I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry for dragging my chair through my home again. God, I'm sorry for dragging this destructive anger through my family again. Did you know that, did you know that the first human manslaughter was because of anger? Cain killed his brother Abel out of anger because anger is always a murder issue. Anger, absolutely untapped, would always lead to murder. You've only not murdered people, not because you're not angry and not because you don't have the capacity, because you found some level of control. If you can control it there, how about we just bring it down? So after Cain kills Abel, God comes and he says this, and I want you to write this down. If you have your Bible, circle it, underline it, highlight it. This is such a powerful, simple verse. God comes after Cain kills his brother Abel, and he says this to Cain, why are you so angry, the Lord asks. Why do you look so dejected? I, you see, you missed it. What if you would ask yourself that question? Why are you so angry? Like, I ask myself this question, but honestly, it comes after, and it needs to come before. Like, is anybody else here, have you ever got upset or frustrated or angry Maybe had a, had a clash with your, with your spouse or your coworkers, and then you're sitting in your office or you're sitting in your recliner at home or wherever you're at, and they're like, what I, man, what did I get so mad about? Like, that was, that was foolish. And this is what God is saying. Come on, Faith Church. What are you so angry about? Why are you so angry? I'm not saying there's not a reason to be agitated. I'm not saying you don't have a right to feel something. Again, it's, I'm not asking you to check, uh, I'm not asking you to check what you, what you feel. I'm telling you to check how you function. 
Why are you so angry? I mean, come on. I, I, the, the person was going 30, 34 miles an hour instead of 36. Why, and that, that deserved that response. Why are you so angry? I've I seen, I seen a clip. I mean, we talk about these all day. I don't remember what city it was in, but this guy didn't like how much. This is crazy. This is the society we live in. Society of people seeing red. The age of rage. This guy walks into a, a Little Caesars pizza and he bought a pizza and came back because it didn't have enough parmesan cheese on it and slapped the worker like I, i'm just like god's like looking like okay everybody likes a little parmesan on the cheese on their pizza jesus like i can give you that one i like parmesan cheese myself but why are you so angry i know your employees didn't do what you thought when you thought how you thought and you have a right to run your office, run your business in a way that's productive and God-honoring and achieving the goals that you've set. But why are you so angry? I know your kid didn't do what you said even after you counted the three. And there's all parenting kind of stuff we can talk about. But really, that's how you're going to talk to them? That's how, why are you so, why are you so angry? Man, that little two-letter word, I mean, it's like a, I don't know about you guys, but it's like a, like a spear. Oh. God's like, okay, be angry, but don't sin. Why are you so angry? A lot of us in this room, a lot of you in Lawrenceburg, a lot of you watching online, it's not that you're angry. It's that you're so angry. God is calling us to gain control, to change our attitudes, to adjust our anger. And stop murdering everything we touch. What would happen if you stopped being so angry? If you're taking notes, unrighteous anger may accomplish your short-term desires, but will always compromise your long-term goals. Unrighteous anger might accomplish your short-term desires. I'll be honest, I feel pretty good after I beep a horn at somebody. There's some people that just need a good horn beeping. I, I, feel, I feel good. Come on, like you don't even have to say anything. I'm, I'm just so you know, if, if I don't like the way someone's driving, I'm going to look at them. I don't even mean mug them. I just look at them. Just drive by. Just want you to know I see you. I, like I want to give them the, you know, I want to give them the, but I don't even do that. Like I just, as I drive by, they're in the, they're in the, you're in the left lane, but I don't even, like, I don't even do that. I just, as I got to go around to the right, I just look over, let them know. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you, it was you I was looking at because I didn't know you went to church here. If y'all would get a faith church sticker on your vehicle, I would wave at you when I go by instead of me mugging you. Come on. That helps me identify who I need to be extra nice to. I remember what I was talking about. That served no point. Short-term desires. Is anybody here, have you ever felt good when you lose your anger? Like you get it out and just you just need to start and you need to stop and you need to go and I wish you would and I, ah. And you're like, ah, like you feel the steam release. 
And it accomplished your short-term desires. But it compromised your long-term goals of having a healthy, stable, lifelong marriage. It compromised your goal of being a loving, healthy parent. It compromised your goal of being productive in the workplace. It compromised your goal of being a witness for Jesus in the world we live that desperately needs a witness for Jesus. So you might have felt good in the moment, but I'm telling you, if we don't cap the anger, if we don't get control of our rage, if we don't do something with all of this negativity in the age of rage, it is hurting us. It is destroying our homes. It is compromising culture. And Jesus says, it's not just if you didn't murder anybody, you're good. No, if you keep allowing it in your heart unchecked, you are hurting people around you. Control your anger. Control it. Proverbs 29, 11 says this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Last part of the verse. I told you two verses. Jesus, he finishes this thought by this way again. He says, you've heard it say, this was your tradition growing up. Don't commit murder. But I say, but I say, like, if you're angry in your heart, you've already committed murder. And then he says this, and this is, this is one of those verses when I was a young Christian, I would read and I'd think, oh my, what does this mean? And if you've ever read this verse and you don't know what it means, I'm going to give you a very simple, I mean, it's, it's really clear once you see it. Jesus says, again, about anger starting in the heart. He says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before court. Some of y'all need to check your mail for a summons this week. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, I don't want anybody to minimize, honestly, that this is coming from Jesus. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell, which is a literal place that if we don't work harder to reach people and crowd heaven, people will spend an eternity there. You say, what in the, wait, whoa, 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 Jesus. Like, I thought I was doing good not murdering people, and now you're telling me I need to control my anger, and you're telling me if I don't control it, like, ultimately, I'm in danger of the fires of hell. Yep, that's what he said. But let's, un- let's, let's, let's unlock to it. He says idiot, and then curse somebody. When he says idiot, what he's saying is, th- these are two, two words. He's saying, first of all, when you tell somebody basically that you're senseless, you're an idiot, you're senseless. Which means, and we do this all the time, you maybe have never said you're an idiot, but again, it goes back to that authority issue. When you say somebody is senseless, when you say you're an idiot, because I'm, come on, Lord, help me, I don't want to confess this. I have called people idiots on the road. I have. I don't know why you're, when we call someone an idiot, when we call them senseless, what we're saying is they don't think the way we think. They don't do things the way we think they should do them. Therefore, they don't have any sense. They don't have any brains because they're not operating the way we operate. Come on. He says, if you think that you're the only, your point of view is the only one that matters, if you think your way of doing things is the only way of doing things, judgment's coming. And then he says this, and if you curse somebody, first he's saying if you call someone senseless, the second part is if you're calling them worthless, when you curse somebody. Have you ever, and some of you have done this, I have seen this, I've counseled people with this. They have a spouse, they have a boss that just rides them and is so angry with them and just demeans them until they feel worthless. 
Here, here's, here's the point. Here's the point that Jesus is making. This is so good. How can we demand perfection from others when we are not perfect ourselves? Again, because anger is an authority issue. We want everybody to operate the way we think they should operate and the way we operate. And when they don't, we don't just call them senseless. We call them worthless. You're, I cannot. Some of you think that all of society and culture is worthless. And he says, when you think everybody around you ought to get perfect and act perfect, look in the mirror first. Because how can you demand something from others that you yourself are not? And so Paul says this. Almost done. Get rid of, everybody here, come on, read it. Lawrenceburg, read this with me. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Notice, all those things have to do with anger, and he encompasses underneath the umbrella of evil behavior. Instead, come on, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Last note, unrighteous anger. That negative anger. Unrighteous anger is caring too much about stuff that matters too little and continues to affect things too long. It's like making a big deal about something that's not a big deal. It's making a mountain out of a molehill and it continues to hurt your marriage and hurt your kids and hurt your workplace and hurt your community. And we feel justified and Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you're submitted to me, there's no justification. And all the other people that you're trying to get submitted to you, you don't have authority over them. And so here's, here's three things. They're not on the notes, but here's the last three things in my notes. Here's three things I think we can do to help get control. Number one is raise the standard on your own actions. Raise the standard. Stop justifying and okaying your out-of-control, destructive attitude and words. Raise the standard. Start telling yourself, God said I can control it, and with his help, I can control it. Stop allowing it. Stop making room for it. Raise the standard. Number two, I don't even want to say it because I'm going to have a hard time doing this. Lower your expectation of others. Quit expecting everybody to be perfect because you're not perfect. Quit expecting everybody to see things the way you see them and behave the way you behave because they're not going to. Do you know why? Because they're not you. Raise the bar on your own behavior. Lower the expectations you have of others. And last, repent to others and God when you cross the line. If you've lost control, if you've gone ballistic, if you've hit the ceiling and gone through the roof, if you've had rage and anger, start repenting. And not just to God. You want to get control of it? Husbands, with real humility, go to your wife and say, baby, I'm sorry. Because when you've got to drag your sorry self with your tail between your legs with humility and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, it'll make it a little easier to do the right thing the next time. Come on, bosses and managers and company owners. When you dog out your employees and ride them in a way that's not acceptable, not okay, and not God-honoring, you need to go to them and say, you know what? We have high standards here at this place, and we have goals we want to set. But you know what? The way I spoke to you and the way I treated you is unacceptable. I apologize, and it will not happen again. Whew. Boy, next time you feel anger coming up, you're going to put yourself in check. 
repent to God and to others. How many people in Lawrenceburg and Florence can say, yeah, I, I struggle with anger and I need, I need to get it under control? Come on. Come on, I want to pray. Father, come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, anger is a real destructive issue that all of us wrestle with on some level. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives and empowers us to live new ones would just come in such a profound way. Lord, I pray that we would stop justifying and start submitting. I pray we would stop expecting so much of others and so little of ourselves. And with your help, with your help and with your strength and with your power, we would be transformed. Not that anger would go away, but that it would be controlled in a way that's positive. So, Lord, change our lives. I pray bring conviction on every heart in this room that's continued to live in unchecked anger. And I pray, Father God, let us begin to live in genuine repentance to you and to others. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees, said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for Gatbo. We'll see you guys next week for a brand new series.